Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm visiting today with Camille Martin. She's the author of the book, Love to Lose, Love Your Life and Watch the Weight Lose Itself. Camille Martin says that women waste their lives dieting, which is tragic because diets don't ever work, and that they wait until they lose weight to really live. Her book posits that if you reverse the equation and live enthusiastically by setting and achieving more meaningful goals, the weight will lose itself. One endorser said that prior to her retirement as a psychotherapist, she had read many self-help, weight management, and motivational, inspirational books. And she wished she'd had this book as part of her counseling practice because, as she says, it's chock full of everything that is right with starting and staying on the journey to remain physically, nutritionally, and most importantly, emotionally healthy. Camille, welcome to the show. Hey, Landis. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. It's very yeah. exciting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love, we're going to get to the book cover in a little bit and talk about the okay. title uh, before we're done. But uh, before we do that, um, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about your personal story because you reveal this in the book. So it's it's not like I'm asking you anything oh, yeah. you hadn't already, hadn't already no, put out. I'm an open book, obviously. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, you, you did have a personal struggle growing up uh, with the de- the demons associated with weight. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to hear you talk about that just a little bit because I think sure. it influences what you did with this book. Yes, definitely. I mean, the book is basically a, um, it's my, based on my 25 year journey of, um, trying to diet off the same 10 or 15 pounds and I was never able to do it. And, um, I learned through a very, very painful process that, um, diets don't work. And not only do they not work, they actually prevent you from losing weight. 
And that's because if you are an emotional eater, like I was, and not everybody is, but if you struggle with your weight, um, chances are highly likely that you eat emotionally. And so when you do that, um, well, diets create massive resistance. So you're using willpower and you're trying not to, you're focused on losing weight. It's all about, um, you know, what you're not supposed to do and what you don't like about yourself. So that creates tremendous resistance. And if you've trained yourself to eat emotionally, um, what you're going to do is you're going to neutralize all of that resistance by eating. And so you stay stuck in this, um, it's really a horrible um, failure, shame cycle that over time, if you stay in it too long, like I did, it erodes your confidence. And um, basically uh, what happened was, is I stayed trapped in my house for the better part of 20 years on a diet, not really trapped in my house physically, obviously, but like I am, my main goal was to lose weight. And so you start dumbing your life down to the point where you're not really living at all. Um, and I see a lot of women, uh, my good friends, um, professionally successful women who are highly intelligent, um, compassionate, wonderful, loving people um, who really all they talk about is, I, you know, I got to lose weight. I got to lose weight. And I just realized what a tragedy it is that all of these women who have so much to offer and um, so much to give back to the world or, you know, achieve on their own, never do that because they're constantly trying to lose weight. So that's where it comes from. So, but for you, this started at a young age and then it carried, mm -hmm. through, it carried through college. And you talk in the book about starving yourself, that you, uh, you were bulimic, you were, mm -hmm. you learned, you learned this strategy, uh, not a, not a great healthy strategy by any means of, of purging uh, oh, af yeah. after meals. And uh, what was it, uh, you talk about this in the book a little bit, but in your own words, what was it that sort of, you think, set you on this path, you know, at a young age? Um, gosh, that's a, it's such a good question. And there's so many things wrapped up in that. But um, of course, we all know there's a huge cultural pressure for women to look a certain way and to be thin and to conform to a certain standard of beauty that is oppressive and we're all um, affected by it. And I was deeply affected by that, as are my daughters who are only 12 and 10 and are already starting to, you know, feel the pressure of that and having that manifest. But I, um, yeah, for whatever reason, culturally, and then just in my um, small sphere growing up in the South, I was, it was a message of you have to look perfect, be perfect, not talk as much, you know, look good, look pretty, be quiet, that whole thing. And um, it just manifested in this basically intense um, self-hatred. It sounds really harsh to say it that way, but that's where binging and purging and things like starving yourself, it's really self-abuse, but it's in an effort to um, fit a standard, but also um, you're fixing yourself from the outside in, and it's destructive and it happens to a lot of women. And, um, I was just very young when it was happening. And when I look back, I'm, it just breaks my heart, you know, to think about what I went through totally alone and, you know, it's not that uncommon. So. Yeah. And you, I find it interesting here that you are a registered dietitian. You chose that as a career path. Uh, did your own struggles, 
have something to do with that choice? Yeah, definitely. But um, my first degree, I got an English degree and a French degree. um, And just, uh, I had no plan for becoming a dietitian. But this sort of goes along the lines with setting a bigger goal. Once I decided to quit dieting out of just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I just quit. And that's when I started slowly setting goals and um, feeling better about myself, you know, from the inside out, trying to fix myself that way instead of physically. Um, but one of my, um, one of the things that I wanted to do was to learn more about nutrition and how it affected my health. So I went and took a class at Georgia state university after work in Atlanta when I was in my early thirties. And I just, I loved it so much that I just kept going and that ultimately became, I went and got a second degree and and became a dietitian. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you talk about in the book, um, you don't you don't cast any blame on your parents. You don't cast blame necessarily anywhere except sort of society as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to talk more about this when we get we get under the covers. Um, but I guess one of the questions I have before we get there is why you chose to write this book because this has been a a long struggle for you. You said you spent twenty five years of your mm-hmm. life on, on a diet trying to lose the same. 10 pounds. Um, what possessed you to write the book? Well, um, back in 2005, right when I had become a dietitian, I had the idea to write the book, um, which at that time it was just going to be teaching women how to change their thoughts and change their habits. Um, but really having a larger goal and finding your voice wasn't part of that at the time. So, the after the 20 plus years of dieting and failing. And then I became a dietitian and became passionate about teaching women how to lose weight without dieting. It took me another 15 years um, of my own journey of figuring out how much I was silencing myself and how much I was, um, yeah, just living according to cultural and societal standards. So um, now the book is a totally different book. Um, so yeah, back in January, I used to say, I need to work on my book. I need to write my book. And, you know, it was like climbing Mount Everest and I never did it. So back in January, I just said, um, I mean, I got divorced in December. So in January, within six months of being divorced, I had, <laughs> I had written the book. So I'll let you draw your own <laughs> conclusions about that. Well, but, well, 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 nothing appeared, at least in the final draft of the book about the divorce. No, so maybe, no. maybe, yeah. We won't go there. That's another podcast. <laughs> that's, that's another time. Okay. Well, uh, all right. Before we get under the cover, so let's talk about the book cover itself. We've got okay. uh, we got a heart on the cover. Um, yes. There are a lot of little hearts floating around as well, uh-huh. it looks like. And there's a color. Um, are you drawn to this particular color? Tell us. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's my love to lose pink. It's my business. The It's actually a FF1493 is the actual um, technical color. But um, so I just, yeah, it's love. It's, uh, you know, pink, love to lose. But um, I wanted the book cover. I didn't want it to look like a self-help book, you know, with like a headline, you know, you need to do this. Diets don't work. I wanted it to be bright and you know, make people feel happy and hopeful and joyful. So that's why I picked the pink color, but I definitely wanted a heart on it because that's part of my branding. Um, So the graphic designer that I worked with, um, we worked together for over a month trying to get it just right. But, um, and she was wonderful, but I'm sure she never wants to hear from me again because I, (laughs) because I completely, 
probably wore her out with my perfectionistic changes, but, um, but yeah, I'm very happy with it. All right. Well, you ready to get under the covers? Yes, definitely. We'll be getting under the covers in just a moment, but because this is December and because I've written a series of books about lawyers who save Christmas, this episode is partially sponsored by me. You can find out more about my Christmas courtroom trilogy at LandisWade.com. The first book in that trilogy is permanently free. A number of retail sites and links on that uh, website, LandisWade.com, where you can download that uh, first book. All three books are now also out on audiobook, and information is uh, there at the website about that as well. I thought I'd play just a little clip here uh, from the second book in the series. This is where Charlie Masters, the client in the second book, is meeting for the first time Thad Raker, the lawyer who saves Christmas three times. Of course, he has help from others. And in this little uh, clip, you're going to hear them talking about this idea of belief, an idea that's on trial in all three of the books. So enjoy this little clip uh, between Trolley Masters and Thad Raker in the second book, The Legally Binding Christmas. I'm not a true believer, Raker said at last. Not anymore, so maybe I'm not the lawyer for you. Masters got out of his chair and walked to the window. Raker could see him looking at the courthouse. He then turned to face Raker. Thad, may I offer you some advice? There are two kinds of people, those who believe and those who don't. Some say there is no difference between the lives of believers and non-believers, but I have seen the difference with my own eyes, felt it in my heart. Yes, I have. Yes, indeed. Times are not always easy. Tough things happen to good people. Life can hit you hard. You can suffer for reasons that are unexplainable, and there are things you can't control. But I can tell you something that's absolutely, positively wonderful and true. You and only you control your beliefs, and no one can rob you of them. Belief is free. Yes, it is. And maybe, just maybe, if you believe hard enough, you will have a return on investment that cannot be measured or predicted. Raker was already weary, and his day was just getting started. He wanted to tell Twirly Masters to leave, but he couldn't do it. He had a feeling, nothing more, but it was one he hadn't experienced since the day he met Henry Edmonds. Raker thought himself the fool, but he decided to hear the man out. I hope you enjoyed listening to that clip from the second book uh, in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy, The Legally Binding Christmas. The narrator is named Bill A. Jones. He's best known as an actor for his humorous role as a news anchor Rod Remington on Fox TV's Glee. He's also appeared on Comedy Central's Workaholics, The King of Queens, CSI New York, Everybody Hates Chris, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, and many other shows, and he's done voiceover work, such clients as the Disney Channel and Warner Brothers and the Fox Movie Channel, and he was named one of L.A.'s best concert cabaret artists. Uh, he really did bring to life uh, the story uh, in all three books, and I had a, had a great time working with him. If you'd like to find out more about the trilogy, uh, both the uh, print books, the ebooks, and the audiobooks, uh, again, you can go to landiswade.com and check those out. But having said all that, uh, let's get back to the episode, get under the covers, and find out more about uh, this book. 
All right, we're under the covers here with uh, Camille Martin, a registered dietitian who's written a book called uh, Love to Lose, Love Your Life and Watch the Weight Lose Itself. Let's talk about that title a second, a little bit of a double mm-hmm. meaning, meaning perhaps. Uh, do people really love to lose? Well, I know they'd love it if they lost it, but <laughs> really where, um, where that comes from is um, it's just, it sums up my whole message, which is um, women I find, and I was included in this, um, in this group, but I feel like women wait to live. They put their whole lives on hold um, before they, until they lose weight. So like they don't book the vacation. Um, they don't go to the reunion. Um, they don't get in the family photo. They're waiting until they lose weight um, to do all those things. And of course, if you're dieting, it's never going to happen. So my belief, very strong belief is that if you reverse that equation and you start living first and really fully engaging in your life and getting excited about it, um, that's what has to happen for the weight to start to come off because enthusiasm and joy spills over into every aspect of your life, including your health. So that's why that's why I called it Love to Lose. So I'm, I'm reading this book in bed uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, my wife is there, and I turn to her and I say, is it really true? I mean, because this author is saying that all women think a certain way. I said, is it really true that all women think about their weight? <laughs> and she, and she Maybe said, she said no, and good for her. No, no, no she said yes. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And and, and, I, and but my question is sort of uh, it was to her and to you mm-hmm. as well. I'll ask you, uh, how do you know that, and why is that such a well-known fact? That because uh, it hadn't occurred to me, um, you know, when I picked up this book initially, I thought, okay, this is a book about losing weight. I guess I could get something out of this as a male too. But it seems to be primarily directed toward women for the reasons that you talk about. Why is it that women uh, are obsessed uh, with their weight? Um, Well, it's some of what I was just talking about is this pervasive toxic cultural standard that we have to literally look perfect. And a lot of women would probably say, well, I don't really care that much. You know, I don't walk around with a face full of makeup and I'm not like obsessed with having the perfect body. Um, but I think it's a spectrum. I mean, you know, there's some people I, I will put myself at the end of the spectrum saying that I literally a an hour did not go by where I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, you're looking down and judging yourself and what your stomach looks like. It's like picking yourself apart, body parts. Um, and if some women do not um, find themselves in that in that um in that box. And that's great. But I find that the people that I know, the women that I've talked to, it's just, um, it's an expectation and it's sort of, I think it's a way to keep women confined and to be quiet. Um, and that's more of a, um, a social statement. So I guess if you wanted to get down and boil it down more on a personal level, I'm not sure that everyone thinks that way, but um, I find that I would be willing to bet 90% of the women that um, at least that I know at some point during the day think to themselves, "Ugh, you know, I wish I could, if I could just lose weight, then I would be happy. So Camille, that's very interesting. And and it raises some questions because you talked before the podcast about how you told your daughters, you're doing a podcast, be quiet, be quiet. (laughs) What do what you what are you telling them about weight? Have you talked about your own experience? Do you talk about? Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, you can't just say I don't think. Uh, well, don't don't even worry about that because that's not mm-hmm. necessarily advice. So, what do you tell young people 
uh, so they don't get into the same trap that you get into? Well, that's such a good question. And I definitely don't say, um, you know, not talk about that and pretend like it's not happening. I talk to my daughters all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's very important to me that they know that this whole thing that they're being fed by culture and society is not based in reality. And but it's hard because they are on their laptops. They're on social media. They watch TikTok. I don't know if you know what that is, but the video, <laughs> the videos where, I mean, and some of it's, it's fun and it's lighthearted, but there, there are filters there, are, you know, and I have to teach them to be aware that what they're looking at is not necessarily what's actually going on behind the scenes. There's cameras, lighting, there's filters, and people go to great lengths, um, especially young people, to look a certain way and to airbrush their photos. Um, and just the other day, my youngest daughter, and this broke my heart, um, she said to me, Mommy, am I ugly? And I said, Honey, no, you're beautiful. And she said, Well, sometimes I look in the mirror and I think that I'm pretty and sometimes I think I'm ugly. What do you think? It was sort of just like a matter of fact question. And it was like, oh my God, you know, my child is looking in the mirror and judging herself and she's 10, you know? So. So one of the premises, Camille, in your book is uh, that diets don't work. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think many people may agree with that who've who've tried different diets. Um, And, but another premise of yours is that if you, and I mentioned this in the opening, if you reverse the equation Mm -hmm. and live enthusiastically by setting and achieving more meaningful goals, the weight will lose itself. Uh, talk mm-hmm. talk about what you mean by that. Okay, you spend, you spend a whole book doing it. You can't do. Oh all yeah, that. you can't do all that in the podcast. But give us the <laughs> highlights. Give us the highlights. Okay, sure. Well, um, obviously, you can't just like go out and have a good time, and then you wake up tomorrow and you you don't need to lose weight. So it's not that simple. But what is behind that is that. Um, especially with emotional eating, you're eating to fill an internal void. And what most of us have been trained to do and what diets, the dieting culture trains us to do is to look at the food that we're eating and to keep manipulating the foods. It's to, you know, change all of these things that are really not the issue. The problem is you're filling a void on the inside. And what you want to do to really solve the problem is quit trying to fix it out here somewhere and just get rid of the void. So the void to me is your, um, the void is a void of identity. It's, um, women get lost in these, um, roles, you know, good wife, good mother, um, good employee. It's like, we're not even a whole person. And so if you set your own goal, that has nothing to do with, um, anyone around you or serving anyone around you or sacrificing yourself. And it's just about you and you can find joy and meaning in it and start accomplishing and, um, achieving a bigger goal. It builds your confidence. All of a sudden there's no void to fill and you don't need to look outside of yourself to keep trying to fill it. You know what I mean? Are you talking then more about, uh, the emotional acceptance of, your weight as opposed to losing the weight itself, uh, that is living a life of of meaning. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. That's a good distinction because yes, it is about embracing 
your body exactly the way that it is. But it goes deeper than that because I fully recognized if someone had told me, oh, just embrace your body and love yourself for exactly who you are. Yeah, that's great. And we all know that, but that's really hard to do. Um, But yes, it is about embracing where you are at this point in your life and to recognize that the weight you see on your body is a direct result of your whole life experiences up until this point, And that cannot not be beautiful. So once you can accept that and understand that weight comes from somewhere and it's not because you're lazy or you don't have any willpower, um, you can really start right there. That's the point at which you can start taking step one toward understanding yourself, loving yourself, and that includes your body. And once you start doing that, at that point on the path, and you set a a bigger goal for yourself, um, yeah, that's when your body starts to change automatically because you're changing your habits and your thoughts, um, which will naturally change as a result of filling yourself up internally instead of externally. And and you talk about how diets don't work, but but in fairness, uh, you do talk about healthy eating in your mm-hmm. book, which is in and of itself a form of how you regulate your diet, right? I mean, yeah, um, yes, but like there's two ways, two connotations to diet. Diet meaning your overall the quality of the food that you put in your in your body, and then diet like I need to go on a diet. I need to restrict myself. I need to change everything I do. And yeah, there's two different okay. things. Yeah. Well, you're talking about the difference between not eating at all <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and eating, eating more healthy. Like they don't eat a whole, you know, bag of chips, maybe get an apple instead. Or something. Well, right. yeah, yeah, definitely. But like, see there, that's a great example because it's like, if you grab a bag of chips and you're, you know, it feels good to scarf the chips down while you watch Netflix and have a glass of wine, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you want to change how you eat, you have to stop and say, instead of, Oh God, I'm such a, fat pig. I'm a loser. I just did this. Figure out why it feels, it feels satisfying to you to eat chips and, um, start asking yourself different questions. Like, does this really make me feel good? Do I feel satisfied or, you know, and that helps you start making different choices gradually. And and throughout this book, you've got uh, various lists and ideas and one, one on page 145, you've got 45 habit tweaks. And we're sort of Mm -hmm. into into that a little bit right now. You're talking about change how you eat and you've got a bunch of suggestions there change what you do and then the next mm-hmm. place change how you move but uh you're, you're talking about you know eat at the table don't eat in front of the screen well i might have to change my practice if i do that so, <laughs> <laughs> add a piece of fruit to your meal these kind of things so you got some yeah. real pr- practical tips here uh-huh. but but when you're talking about change how you move speak to what you're focused on there we're we talking about exercise are we talking about uh just incorporating something into your daily life Yeah. Well, actually, I just want to say first that every single one of those habit tweaks that I'm talking about is something that you can add to what you're doing, which is a very important point. Because when we diet, what you're what we've been trained to do is to eliminate and cut out. So what you want to do is add something positive to what you're already doing. And that starts to displace the negative um, bad parts of what you're doing. So yeah, change how you move. It's um, Yeah, basically, it's like you don't need to go out and run a marathon so you can lose weight. You know, you can add every day. So like, let's see, um, set your alarm 10 minutes early to stretch a little bit. When you add all of these small things up, they they uh, give you exponential results because they build on each other. So anybody can, you know, say, all right, I'll set my alarm 10 minutes early and stretch. That's that's manageable and doable. 
And then right there, when you do that, you have changed your thought process and you built some confidence because you have a, a small win, you know, and all so, of build on each other. And we've got a reading you're going to do now, but I just want to ask a question here. Um, not everything works for everybody. What, what do you say to the person who says, you know, okay, I'm genetically predisposed. I can't, there's some things I just can't do. And you've probably mm-hmm. seen this as a registered dietitian. Yeah. Um, what kind of things in this book would speak to them as well? Um, there are obviously um, situations where people have a medical um, a diagnosis that does prevent them from being as active or if they have a health crisis and are taking medications that it keeps weight on your body. I mean, that's that's not something that you can... Um, that's not what I'm talking about, really. I mean, um, who I'm really talking more to are the women who are perfectly capable of losing 10 pounds, but for some reason we stay trapped in this whole horrible years-long nightmare of believing that it's impossible, believing that we can't do it, believing that we have no willpower. Um, And that's who I'm really talking to is the women who are actively keeping themselves trapped in this mental torture and not realizing it and wasting their lives. So yes, of course, there are going to be people out there who um, this may not be the message. There are extenuating circumstances where people would have a much harder time to lose the weight. So yeah. If you've come this far, you've figured out by now that this whole book is about more than losing weight, that weight isn't even the real problem. You know that my main message is that you need to stop wasting your life trying to lose weight. You should be living your most beautiful life first, focusing on achieving a bigger goal and working toward it and naturally lose weight in the process. But there's an even deeper message that I want to get across. I've been saying throughout the book that weight is only a symptom of the problem and that the real problem is how you eat. Now what I want you to get is that spending enormous amounts of time and energy working tirelessly to lose weight and obsessing about losing it is also a symptom of a bigger problem. And it's this, silencing your voice. The fact that women everywhere are going through the motions of their lives without really living because the persistent thought in the back of their minds is that they need to lose weight and the fact that they spend their days hating what they look like and devising plans to fix themselves from the outside in is all a direct result of a collective cultural brainwashing that tells women to be quiet. Women are taught practically from day one to silence their voices. There are varying levels of this depending on the community you live in and the family you were raised by, but the message that women shouldn't speak with their authentic voices permeates our culture. Maybe you were raised in a home where you were taught that you should be strong and brave and that your ambitions were to be celebrated and that you should be confident and speak up and say it loudly. If you were, you were one of the lucky ones. And if you are, you probably don't obsess about your body if you even think about it at all. But if you picked up this book and are still reading it, I'm going to make the leap and assume that this isn't you. Even if you were raised in a home where you were encouraged to develop into a strong, confident woman, You were still raised in a society where women are taught that the most important thing we have to offer is our looks. And if you are inordinately focused on them to the exclusion of becoming who you were meant to be, you are on some level silencing your inner voice. This manifests in hundreds of ways, including attempting to stay flawlessly beautiful however old you are. 
You see women silencing their voices when they put themselves down, when they say sorry for every little thing, when they let people, mostly men, talk over them, when they agree with people even when they secretly don't, when they move out of everyone's way, when they RSVP yes, even when they don't want to go. You see them silencing themselves when they smile when they're angry, when they don't say what they're thinking for fear of offending someone, when they defer to other people, when they never express their needs, when they don't ask for help, when they suffer in silence so they don't burden anyone, when they live a half-lived life because they're afraid their goals and dreams would inconvenience others. Uh, That's wonderful, Camille. And you go on uh, to say and ask the question, which authors are good at doing? What if? What if women just started speaking and living authentically? Um, Mm -hmm. You then say that um, if they do, it can obliterate, you know, one of the biggest lies um, that the best you can hope for in this life is to be attractive. Yeah. Um, And that once you start living from your authentic self, you start to care less, a lot less about what you look like and, uh, you know, move forward from there. So great message, uh, great book. And hey, with a little time we got left, I want to do the the writing life segment with you here. Uh, Okay. just, Just quickly. You've told me uh, that you were a technical writer. Uh, you were also mm-hmm. an editor for a while. And I'm wondering, um, you know, writing a book is somewhat different as you as you learned, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Talk about the process for you in writing your first nonfiction book. Was it hard for you? Was it surprising to you? How much had to go into it? Um, yeah, actually, I'll have to say that it was easier than I thought it was going to be once I finally sat down and um, devised a plan to do it. So for me, it was critical to have a schedule and a plan and a deadline. Um, so basically what I did is I sat down and I wrote down all of the themes that I wanted to get across and organized those into chapters and then broke the chapters down into sections, then subsections. And I got a piece of poster board and I put it on my wall. And every day I looked at it and um, I knew exactly what I was going to write about every single day. Um, So I set a deadline for six months. I wanted it to be published in June. And then since I'm self-publishing or was self-publishing, I gave myself a month to figure all of that part out. So I had five months. Um, and I just divided everything out that was on the poster board into a five month period. Um, so I knew every single morning what I was going to be writing about. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Ambitious, uh, there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was basically <laughs> sick of myself. I've been for 15 whole years enough yeah. already. So sometimes authors, um, when they write, uh, well, it can be fiction too, but but nonfiction in particular, they learn things about themselves uh, that mm-hmm. they didn't know until they started putting pen to paper. Did that happen for you? Oh, this, yeah. 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 Do you have any examples of the thing that came through most clearly to you after you went through this process? Um, you know, it's I'm still actually processing a lot of what I went through Um you know, it started in childhood with my whole family, with my the way I was raised by two wonderful people, um, the culture I lived in, and then ultimately a marriage that I found myself in where I was silencing myself and doing all of the things that I was trained to do. Um, so really the biggest thing that, that I got from it, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a... I'm a an extroverted introvert, so when I'm writing, um, it's really cathartic, and I'm, you know, I get all of these like I hate this term, but aha moments, and um, 
There were so many of them, but I'm just now starting. I don't think enough time has even passed since my divorce um, to just really come to terms with so many things about silencing myself. Really, that was the major thing. Yeah, and your table of contents, the structure of the book, you take on topics. Uh, it's not about the weight. You focus on resistance. You got a chapter on why diets don't work. Of course, mm-hmm. you've got your story in here. And then you start talking about changes, changing your thoughts, changing your habits, mm-hmm. habits to break, uh, upgrading your environment, and then the larger goals and what you read from there, finding your voice. So what has this book um, meant to you, uh, Camille? Um not just in your writing journey, but in your life journey? Well, um, what it, what it's meant to me is that it's helping me um, sort out my own stuff. But really what it ultimately means to me is that I want to help any woman who has kept, kept herself trapped in this whole prison of dieting and trying to lose weight and fixing herself from the outside in to see It's not just about losing weight or dieting. And I think a lot of women don't even know. You don't realize that you're trapped in it because everyone around you is doing it and it looks normal. So what my main goal is, is to put everything out there that I've learned about me and what I went through, my mistakes and my struggles that are sometimes very painful. And it's very revealing to put myself out there like that. But I'm using all of that in an effort to help other people. So that's what it's doing for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it is part memoir as well. And, and you know, I sometimes ask memoirs this, uh, how much they feel comfortable putting on the page about themselves? Did you go through some of that uh, process as you were trying to decide how much to to reveal? But then the good memoirs say, you know, you have to tell the truth because if you're not honest about yourself and you hold back, then you can't really tell the whole story. So how was your approach? I had no problem whatsoever laying the whole thing out there. (laughs) That's me. First of all, I will just tell it because yeah, there's no point in life if you're not going to be authentic. But the key to me in that is to um, always come from a place of forgiveness and acceptance and love and joy, especially toward yourself. But, um, you know, I don't blame anyone for my struggles or my, you know, eating disorder or um, drug use, you know, it's all in there. If you're, (laughs) if you really want to want to get down and dirty, it's in there. But like, yeah, it's just life. And we're here to help each other and to share. And if we can't share our own struggles authentically, how can you connect and help, you know? All right, uh, listeners. So the book is Love to Lose, Love Your Life and Watch the Weight to Lose Itself by Camille Martin, a registered dietitian. It's a good time to be uh, having this episode because, you know, Thanksgiving is not too far in our rearview mirror and the holidays are approaching. So <laughs> it's, it's something, something to be thinking about. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft 
or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. Hundreds of ways, including attempting to stay flawlessly beautiful however old you are. You see women silencing their voices when they put themselves down. 